Hi again, everyone. I'm Mark Renee. This is Play by Play with me. A little play on words, a chat with some friends. I am the me, obviously, and the play by play part is provided by my guests. And today on Volume 1, Episode 3, my guest is a guy I like to call, although I'm not sure I've ever called it to his face, Mr. Versatility. He's Dave Leno. He is the play-by-play voice of the New York Riptide in the Indoor Lacrosse League that plays at Nassau Coliseum. So there is his uh, New York connection. There's another one we'll get to in just a sec. He's also one of the voices of the Philadelphia Union in Major League Soccer, and you've probably seen or heard him on various ESPN platforms calling college football and college basketball. Mr. Leno, I've always wanted to do this, Dave Leno. How are you, man? I'm great, Mark. Thanks so much for that beautiful introduction, and uh, I really appreciate you pointing out the versatility. That's an area that I've really prided myself on the career ever since I was a college student at Indiana University in Bloomington, so I think it sharpens my game calling across all platforms. If there's a ball, I love to call it, and I'm happy to join you uh, for this one. All right, let me get to the other New York connection you have. Uh, You have been married for not terribly long. And you and your lovely wife welcomed a son earlier this year named Hudson. How'd you come up with the name Hudson? Well, it's not named after the uh, Hudson River, although many would think that. And also the New York Empire World Team Tennis, I believe their mascot is Hudson as well. I've, I've done some uh, public address announcing for the Empire in the past. But uh, my wife, Tori, and I, uh, we wanted an H to honor my pop-pop, that's my grandfather, who was a Holocaust survivor, unfortunately no longer with us. My mom, thank goodness, is still living, so we thought it would mean a lot to her, and it meant a lot to us uh, to name you know, our baby after my papa Harry, so we were going with an H name, and we loved the name Hudson. We kept coming back to it. It's strong, it's a different, uh, but uh, we just... We thought it would be the right name uh, for our son. It's a strong name. I feel like it could be on the bench of the Supreme Court one day, Hudson Leno. So uh, you'll have to have a few introductions for Hudson in the future uh, when you meet him. You know, it's funny. I, I'm so, I, I, I am still to this day so naive. Grew up thinking that I was the only one, my brother and I were the only ones on the planet who called our grandmother from Philadelphia, Northeast, Mom, Mom, and, and Grandfather Pop Pop. And, and, you know, it took me years and years and years to learn that virtually everyone in Philadelphia does exactly the same thing. Yeah, that, that's the way it's been. And uh, oh, I love it. I'm so close um, with my Mom, Mom, too. So just, just to see her um, almost every week. And we go out to breakfast often in Philly and uh, we have dinner as well. And, and for her to, to see her, her first great grandchild in, in my family, on my side, um, just meant the world to me to see that emotion for me. So Very cool. Let, let me clue everybody in uh, to our relationship. You and I have known each other for years. We worked together U.S. Open Tennis out at Flushing Meadows, and I don't know if we'll get the opportunity to do that anytime soon. Uh, this year's tournament looks like, uh, you know, we can cross our fingers and toes and everything else, but uh, I don't know if there's going to be a U.S. Open. Nothing official, obviously. They're holding out hope, but uh, the fact that they're using the indoor facility for a makeshift hospital and uh, the new Louis Armstrong Stadium is a, a commissary where they're providing meals for first responders and and other uh, folks who are fighting the coronavirus battle. Uh, what do you think? Well, I, first off, I have to tell all your listeners that I live for your morning bagel, how you opened up the broadcast <laughs> uh, on U.S. Open Radio and set the scene 
every morning before first ball in Arthur Ashe Stadium and around the grounds. Uh, but your question, I think that it's very unlikely that we'll see the U.S. Open play twofold. Um, number one, if you hit on this, that, you know, part of the grounds is being used as, you know, makeshift hospital, to, hospital and also you know, to service uh, our men and women who are really the heroes out there and providing care to everybody with food and some necessities. So that's important. So another thing is just to focus on the tennis side. The players, from what I understand, after talking to some people, it's their opinion that many are not training right now, and some of which I've talked to are friends with professionals. So I don't know if they will have the appropriate time to get ready for a Grand Slam, which would be the first of the year because uh, Wimbledon, of course, uh, canceled. And, uh, well, I guess the Australian Open played. But, um, you know, with Wimbledon gone and the U.S. Open the next in line, and there's going to be no smaller tournaments like an ATP 250 or 500 and also the uh, the subsequent um, on the WTA tour. I just don't see how they'll get ready. And also, lastly, do these players all want to come from overseas? Will the country be open up in time? to play in New York and have an event, as you know, and all your listeners know, New York is one of the big epicenters with this virus outbreak. So uh, my thoughts and prayers are with everybody. I would love to see the U.S. Open operate on time. And I know the USTA is, is holding out hope for that, but I think the odds are against them. Yeah, really good points. Uh, Dave Leto with us from Philadelphia. My friend, uh, I'm glad you're uh, healthy and well and the family is all well. Uh, what are you missing the most? I mean, we're in a period here, early April, where the NCAA tournament would have just wrapped up earlier this week. Um, you'd be in the thick of uh, Major League Soccer season and uh, with the Philadelphia Union, and uh, your uh, riptide would perhaps be uh, you know, making a playoff run, although I know they didn't start out terribly well. But uh, what are you missing the most uh, due to this uh, quarantine situation? I miss the game days. I miss the anticipation waking up in the morning saying I'm going to broadcast a game. And I know this might sound crazy, but I'm a guy who loves the prep. If anybody that knows a little bit about my career, I make these elaborate spotting boards for each of the games that I call. It looks like a beautiful mind. It's color-coded with the names, numbers, bios. And that all that that goes into game day is something that I, I really miss. And right now, as you know, I'm not calling games and it is tough, but I know that I'm not the only one in this transcends people who work in sports. Um, I just try to keep positive and try to do one or two, three broadcast things a day, whether that's watching old tapes and writing down, Hey, I liked what I did here calling this basketball play. I didn't like it here. Or if I'm talking to other broadcasters like yourself, seeing First off, how you're doing and how your family's doing, things that are simple like that. And then thirdly, what's kind of cool is I'm you know, hosting these Zoom chats uh, with a lot of broadcasters, many of whom I don't know, and other sports media professionals, just a way to learn from each other and connect. Um, nobody's making money off of it. It's just a simple way to connect and hear from other broadcasters or sports media professionals in the industry and see if we can pick two or three things from each other that we can take uh, to our jobs when all this returns. But I miss all the live sports that everybody's craving for right now. You turn on the TV and it's all the classic games or you know, axe throwing, cornhole. I miss all those live events and, you know, it will come back when the time's right. Uh, and I know, uh, and I like to think that all of us that, that do work on remote broadcast um, at the specific games uh, or events, 
that we'll all get our jobs uh, back when everything opens back up. Okay. Uh, I, I caught your spot on Philly 17 this morning, and you talked about uh, some of the play-by-play you're doing is uh, on the walks with Hudson, going uh, right turn after right turn around your development. I got a kick out yeah. of that. Um, yeah. and, and you mentioned you and Tori are playing some games, and obviously the, the name of the show is Play-by-Play with me, so uh, what are you playing? So we're, we're doing a lot of things. So we're playing, well, first off, we're doing some trivia stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people are, are sending these, uh, hard to explain on here, but they're, they're, they're sending these math equations out. I don't know if, if any of your listeners or you have, have seen them out, and it, it's kind of like a, you just got to, it's almost like a mini SAT question. Right. And so her and I are saying, hey, what, it, you know, they'll, they'll have two shoes and, you know, two pairs of pants and that equals five. And then they'll go, you know, there'll be three more lines and you have to guess like what the, the last line is. So we've been doing that. Um, kind of tough to play a board game with two people, but we've been playing some card games with each other. Okay. Uh, that's been fun. Um, other than that, we've been cooking and baking with each other. What are you making? Uh, which is great. Oh, my God. What are we making? Sweet and sour meatballs, chicken parm, stuffed shells, chicken marsala. Uh, you can go, I can go on and on. Baking uh, a lot of homemade baguettes I made for the first time. Oh, nice. Cookies. And you know what the big thing, too, Mark, that everybody's doing? Banana bread. Everybody's making banana bread during this quarantine. And, of course, uh, we did that. It's the one thing and- I haven't gotten to yet. But I'm on the right. You have to try it, and that's a pretty easy recipe. And I'm not saying I'm a great cooker, yeah. baker, but um, I like doing that. Also, you know, we're we're playing some sports, you know, in the house too. We're bouncing the ball at each other. You know, obviously a soft, you know, a soft squishy ball, if you will, throwing it at each other, all that stuff. So we're having some fun and just being creative with our time, and uh, you know, just trying to make the best of family time during this. I think that's the most important thing for everybody out there. I know everybody's chomping at the bit to get out and, and the Starbucks lines around here are mobbed because I know people just, just got to get out and drive around and that's you know something to pass the time by and get a drink. But uh, we're really enjoying each other and you know speaking to our families over social media and, and all those other platforms. We're catching up with people we haven't talked to in a while. Like this. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. You know, it's, I, I think it's it's a great thing, you know, on this tech, for for all the negative stuff around technology. I mean, if, if you go back decades, way before I was born, and you know, forget you know, television, you know, just just simply no internet. Um, I, I think people would in today's society it would go crazy. And you know, what it's it's really like the it's really like the twilight zone out there. What's going on? But. I think people need to really take this seriously, and I think many are, but I know some that our public officials are imploring to, to please quarantine and you know use the social distancing guidelines, and I think the faster that we do that and adhere to the guidelines coming from our officials, uh, this thing may quell uh, sooner, than, uh, sooner than anticipated. Now, I have to ask, uh, once we get the all clear and the quarantine periods are over, and it may not all be at once, it may be certain regions of the country at a, at a time, uh, aside from participating as I throw down the gauntlet in a uh, chicken parm slash chicken marsala bake-off <laughs> with me uh, and some other people we can get involved, uh, 
what do you think is the first thing you'll do when we get that all clear? Gosh, the first thing I'll do is probably, uh, you know, talk to my respective teams and say, hey, what's the plan of attack? How are we going to broadcast? I, I think you bring up a great point. You know, when we do get the all clear, and you, you hinted at this about how some areas of the country may open, the question that I have and many have are, will they go to neutral site games? If the states have the jurisdiction now, the federal government's saying, okay, can play in certain states or states are going to say we can have gatherings of more than 500 people others say we're only going to have limited gatherings uh, up to 50 uh, where are these games going to be played if like the major league baseball story if all these teams go to arizona well if you are a major league baseball announcer in the local market not for the networks will you be going will you be calling the games off of the monitor in your respective studio at home or will they use some network TV crews that will just rotate around and broadcast all those games to the respective uh, RSNs? That's the question that I have. Or will a lot of the national broadcasts go away and just go to the local broadcast teams? Where will the games air? And then secondly, will fans be allowed if the games are in every state? If everything does open up and everybody gets the all clear, um, I had a writer come to me, and just his opinion was he thought that everybody would need to be tested uh, before they could come in. I just think that's impossible. How are you going to hire people to check vitals, temperature, and all that stuff at the gate? I just don't see that happening. So if we do come back and get the all clear, whether that's next month or the month after, I think that we would start with no fans, and that really would be a sight to see. Yeah, well, they're trying Korea, right? Uh, I think uh... – yeah. Saturday, the first games, they're going to have uh, robot mannequins in the stands, <laughs> if I read correctly. Wow. And the, and the Bundesliga also is uh, actually already started training. Uh, so all their teams are back at training. And I believe the last report I read um, as of April 9th stated that they were going to operate uh, with no fans, I believe, for the rest of their season and um, just play their games. I don't know where they'll air or anything uh, over there, but um, I think that's going to happen in this country, and I'm very curious, and a lot of people I know are focused on you know what the NBA does, because I know that kind of was the domino effect for all these other leagues stopping play, which was absolutely the right thing to do, uh, but with what the NBA does and others, when it does come back, um, it I'm curious. I, I think each sports league is saying, hey, can we be the first so we can get that PR? And I know people are starving for live sports right now. But what people aren't talking about, not just the, the pro sports, but how about fall college sports? You mentioned on the NCAA tournament, March Madness uh, not happening. Well, what about all those fall sports seasons? We know the spring sports seasons were shut down, and it seems like student athletes are going to have their option to return at the respective schools or go to the transfer portal, but for college football or men's and women's soccer, field hockey, and you, you name it for in the NCAA for all their members, will that take place? Will schools have enough time to get their kids back on campus and get ready? Nobody knows, and the experts don't know. That's why there's so much up in the air right now. You make some very valid points, my friend. Uh, let's get to the fun part of this. Play-by-play uh, -play -play with me. We talk about playing, and we talk about play-by-play. -play. Um, you started uh, your broadcast career as an undergrad at IU in Bloomington. 
how did you wind up uh, back home near Philadelphia? Yeah, so uh, uh, first off, you know, from the Philly area, went out to Indiana. I loved it. Uh, known for a you know prominent journalism school. Uh, wanted to go to a to a, a big school, Big Ten school. I got into IU, visited, fell in love with the campus. It is, I know I'm biased saying this, but I've been to every Big Ten school just in my travels, uh, with the exception of Nebraska. And uh, Bloomington, no doubt, is, is definitely, you know, one of the top campuses in, in terms of beauty um, in that conference. Uh, but I love my time at IU, really stood out um, because I, I, quite frankly, worked my ass off from day one when I was there, um, in addition to schoolwork. Uh, just getting involved with student TV, radio. Um, I was a guy, and one professor noted uh, quickly is that I was seen everywhere. And I tell a lot of men and women that, that want to go into this business, especially when they're in college, make sure you, you ask your media relations departments to get a press pass and try to go everywhere and cover it. If you can't broadcast it, write for it or blog for it. See if you can get into an event in any way, shape, or form and own your craft. That's what I did at IU uh, my junior and senior year. I was the play-by-play guy for the volleyball and softball teams working for the athletics department. I traveled all over the country with those teams. I uh, called a Sweet 16 with volleyball and NCAA tournament regional with softball. Um, and, and finally, Mark, that, that catapulted in me getting my first break, which was the Big Ten Network started when I was at Indiana and at 21. I called my first national TV game before the student used stuff, uh, which is now taking place, which is students getting the opportunity to broadcast games right. and they re-air on the linear network. Uh, I got an opportunity before that started to go right on the linear network, which is, you know, live TV. And I did field hockey and uh, I was 21. Like I said, still, still a college student. Um, two weeks later, that turned into a, to a men's soccer game. And from there I thought, okay, maybe I can have a crack at this. Um, Fortunately, I did not come out with a full-time job uh, from IU, so I came back home, and I chose the freelance uh, sports route. And just more of my opportunities, the way it worked out, were TV play-by-play. So came back to, to Philly, traveled a little bit. I worked for a company called Comcast Sports Southeast, which is no longer in existence. They kind of got out from the SEC network. Did a couple things down there, Sunbelt volleyball tournaments and ACC basketball game. I got him with ESPN in 2012, and the rest has just been a climb with a few minor league opportunities, U.S. Open, like you mentioned, and uh, some other things that have manifested over the years. Growing up, uh, baseball, you had Harry Callis, Sandy Musser, Whitey, that whole crew, uh, basketball with Zumoff, and um, uh, the hockey side, uh, Jackson, right? Jim Jackson? Absolutely. I'm trying yeah. to remember. Uh, let me see. And uh, JP obviously used to work with on uh, the soccer side, sure, JP Della Camera. But uh, who was your guy when you wanted to sort of learn by watching or learn by listening? Who was your broadcast hero in the Philadelphia area? In the first off, that was great by you. You know your broadcast trivia. We should go. Well, we I, go I, I was born in Philly. State. I, I sort of owe it. To, I owe it to Philly to know what I'm talking about. We talked a lot about Philly when you and I worked with each other at the Open. That's great. Um, in Philadelphia, uh, all the guys that you mentioned, I listened to. Um, I talked with some of the guys that you mentioned in person. I I know Mark Zumoff. Uh, him and I have talked. He's also filled in on a couple Philadelphia Union broadcasts before. You know, I assume the number two play-by-play duties, uh, and Mark's exceptional 
on the Philadelphia 76ers TV broadcast. So him and I have talked over the years, but you know, one of the guys I really grew up emulating, obviously Harry Callis is one, uh, just the way that he let a game breathe on a TV call, especially and the use of his voice as an instrument. He was, you know, I know this is a cliche and I don't like to use them often, but he was the voice of summer uh, for all of us here in Philly. But, but the one guy I would say is Merrill Reese and, um, I used to impersonate Merrill. Um, I can still uh, do it. Uh, probably not as good as I did it in the past. I won a contest as a, as a teenager impersonating him. My, my friend and I won some tickets to some sporting event. We couldn't go because we weren't old enough to drive. Uh, but I would say Merrill Reese, just the excitement of, of him calling the Philadelphia Eagles game on radio, the description, the passion, the emotion, the inflection in his voice. And you can, you can feel the sheer love, Mark, of – the Philadelphia Eagles for Merrill. And and that's what I take pride on in, in all the broadcasts that I do, especially when I'm the local voice of a team, is, you know, I'm a guy that likes to get into it, uh, build to the moment, and I have a deep admiration for the players, coaches, staff, and, of course, the game itself. So I like to you know bring that emotion from the playing area to the TV broadcast and out to the viewers. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of my game calling is the way uh, Merrill Reese executes on game day. Well, I have to tell you, I did not consciously um, uh, uh, exclude him from the list, but uh, there is, in my my very core, there is a deep-seated fan hatred of Merrill Reese. Um, (laughs) it's, It's somewhat rational and probably more irrational, but here's the scoop. Go ahead. First time I ever heard the man was the Pizarchik fumble scooped up by Herman Edwards. Right, there you go. And uh, when Herm later became the coach of the Jets, I uh, walked up to him um, after, I don't think it was his introductory press conference, but it was somewhere along the way in a very casual setting. And I said, I just want to say, um, I think you're going to do a great job as a coach, but um, I don't like you. <laughs> and he looks at me, he goes, what? I said, you ruined my childhood. What do you mean? I said, why couldn't you just fall down? Why couldn't you just fall down when you scooped up the fumble? Just fall down. I had the score. It was wide open. There was nobody there. What would you do? I said, yeah, you're right. Oh, he's great. But every time I saw Herm, I said, you ruined my childhood. And he would always laugh. So you got these miracle in the Meadowlands, and especially after Merrill called number two with Deshaun Jackson. That must be like just haunting you. Well, I, you know, I was at the Deshaun Jackson punt return game. Um, yeah. And in fact, it was funny. I was doing uh, live updates on uh, 1010 wins and I had a headline coming up. I think it was uh, probably it was if it wasn't at 20 to four, then it was the four o'clock. And it was right before I was about to do my headline live headline from Giant Stadium. It happened. And I said, uh, I, I did my little headline, and coming up in under five minutes or coming up, whatever it was. If it was the 40, I said coming up in under five minutes. And if it was the top of the hour, I said, you will not believe how the Giants just lost. <laughs> and it, it, I remember it so vividly to this day. But, yeah, the first game I ever heard Merrill Reese call, it, I was in the car with my parents and my brother. We were going to see my grandmother, who lived in Northeast. And uh, had the game on in the car. My dad ran into the store for something, and we were sitting curbside, and I was listening to the game on the radio, and I will never forget 
that was the first time I heard Merrill Reese, and I said, oh, my God, I cannot believe they lost this game. And, you know, I mean, listen, I honestly, I should be thanking Herm Edwards because without him and without the Giants having that situation, they probably would never have had very shortly thereafter the entire turnover of their organization. And George Young came in and eventually brought Parcells in. And, you know, the, the history's written itself over the last uh, 42 years. They've won four Super Bowls. They've gone to five. And uh, I really have nothing to complain about as a Giants fan, except for that one moment, uh, you know, with Merrill calling uh, the miracle in the Meadowlands. It still, to this day, uh, wrenches my gut. Yeah, and I, I think people in the New York and Philadelphia markets in the tri-state area have to be very blessed with the media members, including yourself, that are are working on uh, these games. And I, I say that not to diminish anybody else around the country, just that there's more resources. And, and you notice where, you know, when the Giants are on the radio or the Jets or the Eagles, uh, you listen to all these radio network broadcasts. And I know the NFL, there's a lot of resources that, but even some of the, you know, the smaller professional sports and just uh, the amount that's poured in to each of those broadcasts, or, or if it's the media getting more, uh, you know, writers or reporters out uh, for the respective outlets, you can really see the difference. And the folks that live in, in the areas that, that we do should be really blessed for the, the people that cover those games. Of all the sports you get to call, and again, regularly, you're doing lacrosse, you're doing basketball, you're doing football, you're doing soccer. What's your favorite sport to call going back to the beginning? I love doing college basketball, and I wish I wish that I did a lot more. I'll, I'll say why. Uh, I love that the fact that in most venues you get to sit courtside. You can hear everything. You got the monitors in front of you. You have the game in front of you. You can, you can feel sometimes if a kid's leaned up against your, uh, your table there, you can, you can just see the sweat pouring down from them. And you really get a sense of the game and, and the excitement just right before your eyes. Um, I, I love basketball, and I love the fast pace of the game, end-to-end action. Um, I love the fact that, you know, an analyst can can see everything like I can before his very eyes. And, and I, I love being that point guard and, and deferring it and let whoever I'm calling the game with, um, he should be, he or she should be the star of the show. And I'm just a small part in the play, and that's what I, I do on all of my broadcasts. But just the, just the speed of the game. I love doing college basketball. I volunteered uh, coaching basketball. I'm not saying I'm an expert at all on hoops, but I, I just love the, the excitement and the fact that it's, you know, after two halves of basketball in college, it's all done. And if it's overtime, it gets even more exciting and exhilarating. And there's so many highs and lows. It's a game of runs. And it's instantaneous scoring, which is not the case in some other sports. So I love all the other sports that I do, but you just have to broadcast them differently. And basketball, you know, you you generally are going to have a fun and exciting game to broadcast. And if it's a lopsided affair then you treat it as such and still enjoy yourself and do what you got to do. I have to ask, um, again, because of the, uh, the variety of sports that you have called over the years, it may be, I'm guessing, a little difficult for you to pin one down. But if you had to, uh, your favorite play-by-play memory or your favorite call, you know, we, we don't all have a seminal 
Mattel, 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 or, you know, we talked about Merrill Reese with the, with the Miracle in the Meadowlands and Harry Callis, uh, in my eyes, in my mind, uh, the, the Mike Schmidt 500th home run uh, will always be the call, uh, if not the World Series, but I don't want to talk about the Phillies winning the World Series. Uh, <laughs> as a jealous Mets fan who's waiting now 34 <laughs> years. Um, but uh, if you had to pick one, do you have a, a favorite play-by-play memory? Well, I don't. I get asked a few times about specific calls, and I, I, I guess first off, my answer to that is like, and, I, and I'm thinking on the fly, and, and that's a good thing for me to point out, is maybe because you know I'm young in the business, I'm up and coming. I don't have one signature call that that a lot of noteworthy people do, and I think that's okay. And I'm somebody that does not script their calls or or anything like that. But uh, I I point to the things that I did in the past. And the memories, Mark, are, are walking, you know, at Indiana, lugging equipment over my shoulder from one edge of campus to the other. I lived on campus and going to the stadiums, not getting paid, just doing it for the love. And, you know, a, a lot of the broadcasting I did coming out of college, uh, I didn't get paid for as well. I was just trying to make tapes and get better. And uh, I often think back to every broadcast that I do before each game, whether I'm doing pre-half post for the union or play-by-play for other sports or, or PA announcing, I often think back to those times where I could not get a job and I had nothing and how grateful I am to be working in this business and doing what I love. And, you know, part of my dreams have come true and to keep that passion and desire going and to, to work on keep climbing. So I remember, you know, you ask about memories I remember waking up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to do Japanese baseball for a company called One World Sports. I remember that a few years ago. Yeah, they uh, they used to cover New York Cosmo games. Uh, they had rights to the Yomiuri Giants. And uh, Ed Cohen, who's, I believe, the radio voice for the New York Knicks, yes. among other ones. We've seen him at the U.S. Open, of course, had an accomplished broadcaster in his own right. And I believe was the lead voice of the Yomiuri Giants. I would be like a fill-in guy. And the games were broadcast in English, but you would have to go into the studio at 250 Harbor Drive um, in Stanford, Connecticut, uh, which I believe houses uh, Yes Network, I believe, right. mm-hmm. their studios. But anyhow, so, yeah. um, I would have to go in at like 3 o'clock in the morning. We'd get the lineups in Japanese. i translate them uh, using Google Chrome. That was the only like internet uh, that you know, provider that, that you could use to translate. And obviously, I would go off of games and positions to get the right players and at you know five or six o'clock in the morning because it was 12 13 hours ahead of time in tokyo uh we would be calling games that would be played at the uh, tokyo dome and i would be sitting in a uh, little i don't don't even a little rectangle audio booth by myself calling a nine inning game japanese baseball with little prep at my disposal i used to call some scouts uh, that i just connected with that knew a lot about japanese baseball that were americans that that could talk to me about specific players and get me through it. And, uh, you know, that was not, by all means, that was not a humble beginning. That was a, that was a great gig for me. It it definitely didn't go to a kid that was his first or second job. But I think back to those times, you know, doing some of those graveyard shifts or, or doing it just for the love. Those are the memories when people ask, what do you remember? That's what stands out my mind more so than, you know, calling a thrilling, uh, Union comeback victory, or we're doing the U.S. Open that I did uh, with you and providing some highlights uh, over the years, or you know, World Team Tennis uh, PA announcing. Uh, the New York Riptide had a great memory this year, uh, 
you mentioned, you know, the lackluster start for them. You know, they only won one game, which was tough, but it was their, their first season and they're building for the future. But it's great to see Fox lacrosse return on Long Island. But uh, I called a game-winning overtime uh, goal by Dan McCray, one of our uh, defenders. Uh, that was a thrilling, passionate call that I had at the end of the game in overtime. So it, it's stuff like that that comes to my mind. It's the humble beginnings and where I thought that, you know, where I questioned, hey, could this happen? Could I make this into a career? That's where the versatility came in. And, and to this day, you know, piece by piece, season by season, I try to put it together and try to live out my dream. That's what stands out in my mind. Well, I love the fact that you get to do all these different sports. You know, it's because it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to do one. Yeah. And, you know, you're doing two pretty much full time. And then, you know, going to various arenas and schools with the with the ESPN football and 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 basketball and it, it definitely is uh, is not easy you know it's funny you mentioned one world and of course uh, not only did they do the uh, the Japanese baseball they carried the cosmos when the cosmos yes. rebooted um, yep. and then eventually one world became 11 sports so you and I now have something else in common because uh, um, once uh, hopefully the independent baseball season gets going again and uh, my New York boulders uh, rebranded from Rockland boulders but the New York Boulders of now the uh, the Frontier League uh, will hopefully be uh, back on 11 sports. And uh, that's something else we have in common. Even though we didn't work together on that network, uh, one led into the other, and, and here we are. And uh, you also talked about uh, the World Team Tennis. I know there was a, a match that you were doing PA for, and I, my brother sends me a text message with a photo attached yeah. of you, and you guys met that night. So the, yes. the, the, the world got even smaller. Uh, that that was great at Villanova. Yeah, love your brother Dave, and uh, I hope he's doing well. Um, and you know, World Team Tennis has been very special to me. You know, I've been been the PAMC, if you will, for uh, you know on court announcer, not play by play, but uh, still grateful to be a part of the product. And uh, you know, I entertain all the fans in house, and it's actually a lot like play by play because I'm really talking and. Over, you know, after a point ends, I'm getting the crowd into it. I'll comment on the play. And of course, because I'm a tennis player myself and Mark, I, I want to tell your listeners, you are too. And we've, we've seen each other play at the U.S. Open in the media tournament, which has been fun and exciting when, when I was a part of it. Uh, so uh, the World <laughs> Team Tennis product's awesome. You know, they're, as of this, you know, podcast date, they're still holding out hope that they will have a season before the U.S. Open, which right. is late. July, um, so they have not canceled their season yet, and I'm hoping that it, it's still on for them and all the players can come in and the sponsors are on board. It's just just a facet of the times right now that we're in. So uh, thanks for mentioning the World Team Tennis because you're right. It all goes back to the thing that you talked about when introducing me is the versatility and how I said at the top how it sharpens everything that I do. It's not just being you know a TV play-by-play guy. You know I filled it on radio for. Uh, Twice I filled in for Villanova, one basketball game, one football game going back a couple of years ago. So um, the fact that I did some more TV stuff just happened to be where the opportunities came. Uh, or if it's public address announcing, filling in a LaSalle basketball, or like you mentioned, world team tennis. So um, what I often tell people that are coming in this business, and I've said this, I guess, a few times uh, on this one, is that, you know, Take what take what you can get. Try to say yes to every opportunity. Make yourself available. And you never know who's watching or listening. It can lead to something else. It might not be the exact sport that you want to call, or but 
you never know. One turns into two, two turns into four over time. And timing is everything. And I like to think that mindset has helped me in my career, especially when one door is closed, which has happened multiple times. I worked for minor league teams that have folded or gigs that just frankly just went away and I wasn't back. Um, Another door open. So it's staying positive, upbeat, even in the darkest of days, which is kind of going on in our industry now. Uh, with the coronavirus. I just want to bounce back uh, real quick. You mentioned the media tournament at the Open. If memory serves, the first one you played in, didn't you win the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I did, yeah. Congratulations. I, you know, thank you. I don't know how much of a of a big accomplishment that is, but you know what? No, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, played on the outer courts of the Open. Uh, I think one time we played on the practice course adjacent to Ash, where you see all the big players uh, training. Uh, I play a lot. Play Actually, I Really quickly, I stepped up and played with uh, you know four or five doubles group, uh, you know, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And those guys, a couple of those players were five zero. People have no idea what I mean by that. It's just tennis rankings. The higher the number, the better the player you are. Essentially, a five zero is a really good player. Probably played in college and might have played D one or has attributes that fit that mold. And uh, so I'm playing often, trying to trying to stay in shape. Uh, I've had buddies that have texted me right now to play this week and i'm like uh don't you know there's a pandemic going on i don't think it's the best time to be playing so all that said mark i hope you and i get to hit around one day and you know maybe you can teach me a few things because i like playing against all different players and uh i think uh, i think we'd have fun rallying again I had one first in the media tournament at the Open, and it was being the first to sign up one year. Yes. <laughs> That's my championship. I, I think you you might have been one of the first. When, I, when we first met, um, I think it was maybe 2013 is the first year I worked on the U.S. Open radio side. I think you might have been the first to tell me about it. So thanks yeah. to you, you were my springboard. And right? I think 2014, yeah, they got no commission for it either. I'm just going to remind hey. you that. But I, I think 2014 was the year I was the first on the sign-up sheet, which okay, okay. was thrilling yeah. for me. Yeah. Hey, that's <laughs> you got to use those bragging rights, right? Take the victories however you can get them. Hey, you before we wrap up, and I know you've yeah. got a baby to take care of, uh, yes. you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you and Tori with the board games and the card games and the trivia. By the way, I wanted to get back to that, that, uh, that picture uh, puzzle thing with the math. Yeah. We need people to start sending out higher resolution photos because I got caught up. I was so sure there's one floating around with a wizard and a magic wand and something else. But I was so sure I had the answer because I'm looking at this low res photo and Great. couldn't tell that the end, uh, the, 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 the final, you know, the money shot, if you will, was two wands stuck together. Because, exactly right. Because it's it was low res like somebody... garbage, and yeah. and so you know people think I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, I I actually learned this is a really funny story. Um, I I went through let's see uh, kindergarten through twelfth grade, so that's thirteen years, and then four years as an undergrad, seventeen years of formal schooling, and uh, graduated from uh, Hofstra in the early eighties. Well, we'll call it the mid eighties. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. High school was the mid eighties. Uh, college was the late eighties. Anyway. Math is not my strong suit, but it wasn't until I met my wife, um, who's been a teacher uh, of many subjects over the years. She was the first one, and now we're only going back about 10 years, right? So I've been out of school for 20 before I learned what PEMDAS was. 
I never knew. I don't understand how I could go through 17 years of formal education and nobody told me about PEMDAS. You have to know. Listen, the orders of operation are very important for stuff like this. And uh, you're right. When it comes, if people know what we're talking about by these pro- math problems, if you will, I'll call them that. Uh, you have to look at like the, the small detail that's in these pictures. Right. So, yeah, people need to upload some higher res photos so we all get this. But we've also been playing a game called Phase Ten, another card game that, that just comes to mind that, that she has a set for. So, you know. It, it, to everybody listening out there, first off, hopefully everybody in their families are safe and healthy. But I hope everybody, you know, every I know people are upset because they're stuck and you know they they you know, they're told not to go out and go into the grocery store. Now they're at least around here, Mark. There's a cap on how many people can go into the grocery store or some of the places that that are open for essential business. But I hope everybody is enjoying the family time or talking with loved ones. Uh, I think we can't take that for granted and. And I think this will pass. And when it does, uh, I'm really curious, Mark, and I know it's another discussion, but what's going to change in our society? How are things going to be different? And how are we going to get back to the way things were before all this took place? Those are things that I'm that constantly uh, thinking about outside of the sports world. But hopefully everybody is is enjoying this time and staying healthy with their family. Amen to that, my friend. I think the first thing we'll see is uh, very much uh, fewer handshakes. Yeah, absolutely. How about, you know, you're, you're in the New York area. I mean, how about sitting on top of people at restaurants? I remember going to the delis in New York, and, you know, you're, you're sharing a table sometimes when you're a two-top. Does that continue? Planes, movie theaters, uh, you name it. I just hope, too, that that all these businesses come back, especially the small businesses. Right. You know, we've tried to, you know, do the curbside to uh, pick up or, yeah. uh, you know, we've gotten things delivered here, dropped off at the door. You know, we, we have some friends in the restaurant business and this is all industries, but I really hope that, you know, all, all the folks out there um, really get their jobs back and are, are, are taken care of. That's, that's what I think can help uh, you know, restart and uh, reinvigorate the economy. Amen to that, my friend. All right, last question. I know you've got to go take care of the baby. Um, when Hudson is old enough, uh, what do you suppose would be the first board game that you and Tori teach him to play? Uh, maybe sorry <laughs> that we're teaching him all the board games. Uh, or maybe trouble. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a great, great question. I you have plenty say... of time to think about it. What is he, uh, 10 weeks old? Yeah, he's only 10 weeks plenty old. Plenty of so. time. Yeah, plenty of time, but maybe I maybe I'd go with those two games. A Monopoly, you know, is a little tough for for a young kid, but he might like uh, Trouble, uh, maybe Hungry Hippos, something fun like okay. that. That I can uh, I can go all, all these uh, old time uh, games. I think are going to come back. Maybe Jenga, uh, not a board game, but of course might be fun for a little while. Yeah. I can tell you this, Mark, that he will have every ball in his hand. You know, when he's when he's re- willing and able to, you know, whether it's you know, tennis ball or, you know, just playing some hoops, you know, throwing a sock in between the door like my dad and I used to do. And my dad and his brother, when they were younger, you know, every ball, um, soccer ball, of course, uh, lacrosse, uh, I'm going to try to get him involved. I think, you know, we could talk about this, you know, on a different show, but <laughs> one of the biggest mistakes, and I talk to coaches a bunch, and I know you do too especially in the college and high school round. A lot of the college coaches will tell me when it, when it comes to recruiting and they're seeing these kids specialize in one sport, that it is the worst thing for the progression, especially when they want to go and play 
in college. And I'm not saying Hudson's going to be a college athlete. I wasn't, but I was a kid who grew up and, and was one that tried to play everything. Uh, you know, that was, that was possible that, that I could, and that, that we could afford to play. And that's the same way I think I'm going to pr- approach as a young dad in life with, with Hudson, give him the opportunity with ever, whichever sport he wants to play. I'm going to try to expose him, you know, to meet all these new people, to, to have friends in all these different sports. And I think that will be uh, exceptional for his upbringing. So, uh, you know, any sports that, that you think uh, I should involve him in? Cornhole. Uh, over years, right. There you go. <laughs> you no know, pickleball even, which is getting big. I Absolutely. Huge. Pickleball. Huge. Um, so, yeah, so um, – We'll be we'll be playing a lot of games, both board games and uh, some sports with Hudson. Can't wait uh, for that part of life, but enjoying him uh, as a, a ten week old right now. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun and uh, a lot of learning and growing as a young dad, but just day by day, just enjoying life. I just want to throw in the the, the one thing that we hear people talk about with the sports specialization is the physical aspect, but yeah. nobody talks about. That when you play various sports, you're expanding your mind, too. You're learning to think on your feet because you've got to remember the rules of the game and the strategies. And there's so much that goes. You you don't just show up to play a game. There's a lot that goes into it. And when you're only focused on one sport, you're sort of limiting your brain power. And virtually no one talks about it. You're right, and that's why I love the psychology of sports and all those meetings that these teams have going into game day. Baseball, it breaks my heart. I know you're a baseball guy. You broadcast it. I have done baseball in the past, both in the independent league when I interned for the now-defunct Cam the River Sharks, and I mentioned Japanese baseball as well. I wish I did more baseball, but uh, maybe in the future. Uh, but you're always thinking. Um, and you're always, it's all situational and it, it kills me to see, you know, you go to a baseball game. I know it's so long, and, you know, the nine innings and nobody's sitting in their seats, you know, for, or doing the, the scorecard, uh, because, you know, it takes so much time and it's slower. There's no instantaneous action. Um, but you know, you could sit there with your son and hopefully I'll get to do this with Hudson one day. And, and my dad is, you know, you're saying, all right, there, you know, there's, is the infield fly rule in effect or, Hey, they're playing double play depth. They're, they're playing a shift here. Why are they doing that? Why this guy's a pull hitter. So why is the center fielder, you know, moving towards left field, stuff like that, that, I, that guys like you and me, you know, we would think about and others probably don't give a damn, but <laughs> just, just to make the case and now this case with baseball, I mean, those are the thinking things, right? And you can make the same case with soccer and volleyball and softball where you're always thinking and you're right no matter what sport you play and if you play all these multiple sports that can sharpen your mind and you can take that towards the classroom and in life uh, as well so i like to think that you know some people will uh will keep doing that in the future but there's um i, I see it as i told you just briefly uh, earlier that i i volunteer coaching uh, basketball with young kids and a lot of those uh, parents see themselves you know their their kids or only playing basketball and, you know, and, and that's it, you know, and even if their kids, you know, don't want to go on and they're not good enough to play in college at any level. So uh, we'll definitely keep the multi-sport theme uh, in the Leno household. Good stuff. Well, I appreciate you uh, sacrificing your own personal nap time to join me and uh, have a little chat. I'm glad we had a chance to catch up. I hate that it's under these circumstances, 
but uh, really happy that we could uh, spend a few minutes. Mark, thanks so much for your time as well and for giving me uh, the opportunity to come on. You're the coffee that I need during this time and uh, <laughs> right up my spirits uh, talking about all this stuff. So thank you again and, and please stay healthy and safe uh, to you and your family. You too. Best to Tori and uh, the rest of the extended family. I'm Mark Renee. That's Dave Leno. And Dave, thank you for stopping by to play by play with me.